Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. How many of you sense his presence in the room? Uh, so today we're going to be, begin a new series, and um, I'm always thinking ahead, trying to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit about what topics that He wants me to address. Um, I, have an, I have a running list of series ideas and topics. I'm constantly adding to it. Um, sometimes it's like God just downloads an idea into my heart. Other times it's a word or a phrase that jumps off the page of a book or uh, a sentence that's spoken in a podcast or even something from a movie. Uh, Sometimes things just stir my heart. And my hope is that no matter where we all are on our journey of faith is that we're all growing in our relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's our mission, to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Um, Before we go any further, how amazing was last week, Sunday, fun day? We had record, record attendance. There was like 160 people here. Every time Katie speaks, just people just like, coming out, I'm coming. And, uh, but there's a lot of people here today. I was just overwhelmed. Started in my living room with like three people, five people. This is just insane. I'm thankful for what God is doing. Um, anyway, last week, our kids, our kids team, Katie, this, they're, they're really second to none. I'm truly grateful for every one of you who serve in our e-kids department. That's from newborn all the way to fifth grade. You guys are killing it. And uh, I just, I seriously just want to say thank you. Uh, admittedly, I'm biased, but it felt like last week's production was like just watching some kind of high-end Nickelodeon kids production. I, it could have been better if Lippy himself were here. Uh, Actually, it was way better than anything Blippi could have ever produced. Uh, anyway, with that in mind, everyone seemed to really enjoy the game portion of the service last week. And so I decided uh, we'd just play a game this morning to get us started. <laughs> you guys aren't as excited as we were last week when Kate was like, it's game time! Whoa! Uh, editors of the third edition Oxford English Dictionary, which is set to be completed by 2037, Estimate the inclusion of about 4,000 new words per year. Uh, For those who like to do math, that's almost 11 new words per day that they're going to be adding to to the dictionary. Uh, The following are some popular words that uh, were only recently added to the dictionary. It doesn't mean we weren't saying them before, but they were just recently added. Some of them are such a part of our culture now uh, that it feels like they've just always been there. Words like podcast, um, crowdfunding, all of these have been added to the dictionary within the last year. LOL is no longer initials. Like it's a word. It's in the dictionary. Uh, words like YouTuber, um, words like jeggings. <laughs> all the ladies said, amen. All right. Does anybody not know what jeggings are? Everybody knows? That's good. Oh, Thomas does it. That's okay. 
<laughs> Ask somebody after service. Uh, here's a word that was surprising to me, only added in, uh, to the dictionary in 2012, and the word was CD. As quickly as it was given dictionary recognition, it's pretty much been canceled. So CDs, you're canceled. Uh, does anybody use CDs anymore? You're younger than I thought. I didn't think anybody your age would be lifting your hand, but uh, <laughs> whose car even has a CD player? Oh, wow, a lot. Okay. <laughs> whose car does not have a CD player in it? All right. Well, eventually, those of you, it's coming. Your CD player is going away. Um, words like ringtone added in the last 10 years. Words like Uber added in the last 10 years. These are some pretty common words. Uh, and here's where the game comes in. Um, I'm going to give you some less common words that are being added. I'll give you the word, and I want you to try to guess what the definition is, okay? I'm going to give you a word. <laughs> I'm going to say a word, and I want you. It's a new word. I'm going to try to get you, know, you to guess the definition. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, all right. Now we're rolling. All right. The first word is this, phonesia. Phonesia. <laughs> And just for a hint, it's a compound word made up of phone and amnesia. Anybody raise a hand would like to, Michael? You forgot where you put your phone. Forgot where you put your phone. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Who, who else is that's what you think? Yeah. Show of hands, you think phonesia means I forgot where I put my phone. How many of you have phonesia every day? You're like, I don't know where my phone is. That's not true. It's glued to every one of us. It's not, you, everybody always knows where the phone is. And when you don't know, it's panic. Like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Uh, okay, that is not correct. Here's the definition. The definition is the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you called just as the person answers the phone. Has anyone ever done that? You call, you're like, hello? And you're like, hello? Who is this? Like, you called me. I don't know. Uh, it'd be a couple, couple more. Blamestorming. Blamestorming. Who wants to take a stab at that? Blamestorming. You've heard of brainstorming. It's blamestorming. When you're trying to figure out who you're going to pin the blame on? When you're trying to figure out who you're... Yeah, I mean, pretty close. Pretty close. Here's the definition. Sitting around in a group discussing who's responsible for the company's problems as opposed to trying to solve them. That is blame, blamestorming. Um, here's another one. Intoxication. Intoxication. Any, any takers? <laughs> Too much text. Somebody said what? Too much taxing. What do you have? Taxing makes you sick. Intoxication. Let me give the definition. Intoxication is the euphoria from getting a tax refund, which lasts until you realize that it was your money anyway. That is. That is intoxication. <laughs> Uh, let me give you one more. You ready? Uh, disconfect. Disconfect. And I'm going to give you a hint. Uh, it has to do with candy. Disconfect. And you probably recently did this since Halloween just passed. Disconfect. Any, any, uh, any what, what you got? Ridding your house of all sugar or candy. Ridding your house of all sugar or candy. Not, not a bad guess. Anybody else? Any takers? Hey, we're get, you're getting closer. What'd you say, Brent? Brent's getting close. It's, it's, it's related. It's related. Disconfect. Let me give you the definition. Uh, it's the attempt to sterilize the piece of candy that you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. 
haven't even done it. Just blow it off. I mean, as long as it's not somebody else's candy. How many of your kids, you're, they drop a candy, you're just like, just blow it off, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, today I didn't come here to talk about new words in the dictionary. I really came to talk about an old word. A word that's become so common, especially in church circles, uh, that I think we've begun to take it for granted. Uh, and yet it's one of the most powerful words in the world. We've been singing about it all morning. And over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into uh, this word called grace. And uh, before I jump in, I'd like to recommend a couple of resources. There's a book called Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Imagine by Max Licato. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read, period, on any subject. Uh, another book uh, called Grace is Greater uh, by Kyle Eidelman. He's the author, maybe a few years ago, you wrote, read the book, Not a Fan. Uh, he's the author of, of that uh, popular book. I've drawn great inspiration on this topic from both of these pastors and authors, and I highly recommend them for deeper, deeper study on the topic. All right, here's how the uh, dictionary defines grace. I'm not going to throw all these up on the, um, on the screen. I wasn't even sure we were going to have a screen this morning, but the guys came through for us and made this happen. Um, so Google grace if you want to know what the dictionary says. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. It's defined as virtue coming from God or a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. It's defined as approval or favor or mercy or pardon. In church circles, if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard grace referred to as unmerited favor. In simplified terms, grace is described as receiving something that we didn't earn and we don't deserve. Amen. The meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, the questions of uncertainty in life. God answers the mess of life with one word. It's called grace. Amen. And we talk as if we completely understand the term. right? Banks and credit card companies offer us a grace period. Politicians and pastors fall from grace. In the music world, there are grace notes. When someone receives an award or a compliment with humility, we say that they were gracious. We, we describe ballet dancers as being graceful. If we say prayer, a prayer before we eat, we are saying grace. If someone important comes into the room, we say that he or she graced us with their presence. Songs of the church are full of the word grace. In the words of Max Licato, preachers explain it, hymns proclaim it, seminaries teach it. But do we understand it? We've settled for a wimpy grace. It politely occupies a phrase in a hymn, fits nicely on a church sign, never causes trouble or demands a response. And when asked, do you believe in grace? Who could say no? But here's the deeper question. Have you been changed by grace, shaped by grace, strengthened by grace, emboldened by grace, softened by grace, snatched by the nap of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace? He goes on and he says, God's grace has a drenching about it 
a wildness about it, a white water riptide turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you. It rewires you from insecure to God secure, from regret riddled to better off because of it, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. When I read this description of grace, I all but wept. Grace, more than we deserve, greater than we could ever imagine. Paul, the great first century missionary, wrote about grace. And for those who are unfamiliar with Paul, he's the writer of close to two-thirds of our modern New Testament Bible. And so to the ancient city of Ephesus, which would be now about 320 miles from modern Istanbul, Turkey, Paul wrote a letter. And I want you to listen to his words. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And I love this verse, one of my life verses. We speak this over the boys every night before they go to sleep. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. The grace of God has made a way, this scripture tells us, to be saved. And this letter was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word for saved, some of you will know this, is sozo. The word sozo means this, save, rescue, deliver, heal, or be made whole. God has made a way by His grace to save us. God has made a way by His grace to rescue us from any situation that we have ever or will ever face. God has made a way by His grace for us to be healed. God has made a way by His grace for us to be whole. So when people say, I've been saved by grace, which is obviously a direct quote from the verse that we just read, we often think of this in terms of heaven, meaning I'm saved by grace, so when I die, I'm going to go to heaven but I think that grace has mistakenly been referred to as merely a get out of hell card. But God is more active and more interested in our lives than that. Amen. God's dream isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. Amen. Scripture tells us that in heaven there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. So yes, ultimately, we will be made whole in heaven. But the grace of God provides a way for us to be made whole here on earth. God wants us to be healed and whole spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally now in this present life. Now, Paul mentions grace more than 100 times in his writings. Anyone care to take a guess at how many times Jesus talked about it? 
None. Jesus didn't talk about it. He exemplified it. He lived it. John, the cousin of Jesus, described him this way. John chapter 1, 14. The word became flesh. This is talking about Jesus. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Watch these words. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't have to speak of grace because he was completely full of grace. Have you ever tried to carry a, a bowl or a glass completely full to the brim from one place to another? Nobody. Okay. <clears throat> what happens when you do that? It spills. It's almost impossible to, to do that. This describes Jesus full of grace. He didn't have to speak about it because every time he moved, grace just spilled out on everyone he came into a contact with. Now, here's the interesting thing about grace. On some levels, it's easy to understand. It's easy for us to gather head knowledge about grace. Again, we can quote verses and we can sing songs like we just did. And it was beautiful. And God, I could feel his presence, his tangible presence in the room. But there is a very, very big difference in understanding grace intellectually and experiencing it personally. Similar to romantic love. You can read about it. You can memorize the definition of love. You can watch movies about it. But until you experience it for yourself, you'll never fully grasp it. God wants to take us from head knowledge to heart knowledge. From weak, wimpy grace to a robust experiential theology on Grace. Once again, we turn to the writings of the cousin of Jesus in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. It says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And Jesus said, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, I've said this many times, but we often read through the details of stories like this, like you would just glance over it. But I want us to dig a little deeper. It's early in the morning. It's dawn. The sun is just rising. And behind closed doors, a woman is having a sexual relationship with a man who is not her husband. The doors burst open. There stands the religious elite, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And I can't imagine that they waited for her to put on her robe, touch up her face or make herself presentable for public. And they forcibly drug her to the temple courts where all of the eyes were focused on the humiliated, broken, half-naked woman. And there they asked Jesus the question, the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? What was the woman supposed to do? She has no defense. She was literally caught in the act. She certainly couldn't deny the accusations. I suppose she could have asked for mercy, but the ones who had the power to grant mercy were the very ones gripping the stones ready to execute 
judgment. She has no one to speak for her, no one to stand up for her. But as Max Lucado described in this very scene in his book, she did have someone who would stoop for her. Verse six, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Instead of positioning himself higher than everyone else, he took the lowest spot in the temple courts. They were looking down at the woman, but they had to look even lower to see Jesus. When they kept questioning him, verse 7 says, He straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, Jesus said, Fine, stone her. But let the ones who have never sinned throw the first stone. Again, verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? What a question. Where are your accusers? Just like this woman, we are often awakened to the voice of our accusers. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. No one really loves you. If people knew the real you, they would reject you. You'll never fit in. You're a bad father. You're a terrible mother. But unlike the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which leads to repentance and a changed life, Satan's accusations bring no repentance, no resolve, no life change, just regret. Condemnation is the preferred language of Satan. Listen to the words of Jesus regarding Satan in John 8, 44. There is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As long as we allow it, Satan will repeat the adulterous woman scenario in our heads. He will march us through the city and to the public square. And as if he has a megaphone, he will begin to announce to everyone, this is the person who was caught in sin. This person was caught in the act of adultery. This person was caught in the act of pornography. This person was caught in the act of dishonesty. This person was caught in the act of stupidity. This person was caught in the act of immorality. But when grace shows up, your accusers disappear. Again, quoting from Max Lucado, he stooped low enough to sleep in a manger. Low enough to work in a carpentry shop. Low enough to sleep in a fishing boat. Low enough to rub shoulders with crooks and lepers. Low enough to be spat upon, slapped, nailed, and speared. Low enough to be buried. But then, he stood up. Up from the slab of death. Upright in Joseph's tomb and right in Satan's face. Tall and high. He stood up for the woman and silenced her accusers and he does the same for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 21 says this, and since we have a great high priest over God's house, that's talking about Jesus, 
Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith because we have been made free from a guilty conscience. A clean conscience, a clean record, a clean heart, free from accusation, free from condemnation, not just for our past mistakes, but also for our future ones. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 from the message says this, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin, all sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Let's finish the story from John. John 8, verse 10, Jesus asks the woman, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I'm going to wrap this up with one final quote. Within a few moments, the courtyard was empty. Jesus, the woman, her critics, they all left. But let's linger. Look at the rocks on the ground, abandoned and unused. And look at the scribbling in the dust. It's the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. Even though we don't know the words, I'm wondering if they read like this. Grace happens here. I want us to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. From knowing about grace to experiencing grace. See, there are people in the room who feel just like this woman. Your sin, your mistakes, your failures are constantly being replayed in your mind. Every morning you're awakened to the religious demons and spirits and thoughts that are just, you did this, you did that, and you're an adulterer, and you're this person, and you're that person. Things constantly reminding us of our sin and our failures. People reminding us of our sin and failures. Maybe it's a spouse who's constantly reminding you of your failure. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a mother or a father. Where intentionally or unintentionally, they are dragging you through the mud and you're exhausted from carrying the weight of your past. Hear me, Jesus is here and he's offering you grace. Remember, grace is receiving something we didn't earn and receiving something that we don't deserve. Every person under the sound of my voice is deserving of death and no one 
is deserving of the gift of grace. But God the Father, through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus, stoops down to offer us this amazing gift. Where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Neither does Jesus condemn you. Let us leave our life of sin and embrace the grace of God. The title of this message was Grace, What Is It? And the real answer is you have to experience it to know. You can read about it until you experience it. You can't know. But Jesus wants to take us from head knowledge to heart knowledge, from hearing others talk about it to receiving it myself. Can we pray just for a moment? On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.